Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, for leading us in our service. Good morning, everybody. As we gather here, we are honoured and privileged always to be gathered in the freedom of a country like Singapore to be hearing God's word, which is not a common occurrence around the world. We continue to pray for Christians in persecuted lands where gathering together is illegal. And so it's important that we begin each year with, filled with thanksgiving for the true freedom that we have in Christ Jesus from Satan and sin and the freedom that we have in Christ here to continue to lift the gospel and to share the gospel. So, it's a new year, and how serious are you about newness? So we stand there at the door, greet everybody coming in, Happy New Year, Happy English New Year, right? Western calendar, and soon in two weeks' time, Happy Chinese New Year. And I realised through time that lots of us here in Singapore of Chinese descent and in Malaysia and around the region, we take Chinese New Year very seriously. Because around this period, lots of people do spring cleaning. How many do spring cleaning, hands down? Seriously do spring cleaning. Sometimes we say, why have you come to... I have not come to... Cannot, Pastor Chris, just excuse the next two weeks of spring cleaning. Very serious about that. What has COVID-19 taught us? COVID-19 has taught us, I read an article, which was quite seminal, profound, poignant. And the article basically said, from this point onwards, this was at the onset of COVID-19, when the world hadn't discovered vaccines yet, and fear and anxiety gripped our hearts all across. And so the article said, from this point onwards, after this pandemic, our whole attitude and approach to personal hygiene, the washing of hands, the wearing of masks, the cleaning of things, right, being conscious of the viruses and germs around us, will change forever. Our our attitude to personal hygiene and public hygiene. I thought, what a seminal article. It really is true. And then, and so it spawned off during COVID, a whole trillion dollar cleaning industry. Right? So if you were in the industry of masks, in the industry of detergents, cleaning, etc., you are in the right business. And it continues to be. And so do you remember in the early days, if there was an infection when we came back to services, in small numbers, 50, 100, and there were all those things about how to come in, how to go out, which toilets you're supposed to go to, which toilets you're not supposed to go to. Do you remember, have any memory of that? I'm just checking, you know. Just in case we've forgotten. Just in case we've forgotten. Right? And so, um, there was a possible infection. We discovered we had to do deep cleaning. You know how much deep cleaning of a building might cost? Three to $5,000 to clean everything, and cleaning companies couldn't cope with it. This is a trillion-dollar industry. And so from this point onwards, we started to take personal hygiene and public hygiene, the love for neighbours, seriously. And then when the rules relaxed a little bit more, I went to Adam Road Hawker Centre, ordered the Prata there. Then I saw the Prata man in the heat of his cooking. His mask had dropped off to here. And then he wiped himself, made my Prata, and then... The articles sort of didn't have any credibility. <laughs> From this point onwards, our whole attitude to public hygiene and private hygiene just flew out of the window. <laughs> you think we'll ever change? The newness of life from a pandemic, from a calamity? And so, I've said this a few times, and it's true. Mona, she knows I like cleaning, right? Please don't ask me to go and clean your house, huh? after the, because after the 5 p.m. service, lots of church members say, Pastor Chris, come to my house. Help me, okay? So for two years in a row, she bought me a mop for my birthday. It's a spinning mop. It's a wonderful mop. 
I've never had that contraption. It's just wonderful. So I got one for mopping the indoors and one for mopping the outdoors. Right? That's wonderful. Then one year, my daughter bought me a vacuum cleaner. And so the message is almost complete. Right? And then this was, as it were, the icing on the cake. Um, Mona bought for our granddaughter, Eden, right, a cleaning set that had a broom, a dustpan, five, five things I can remember, a broom, a dustpan, a mop. And the first time she got it, our granddaughter, you should see the seriousness in which she went about mopping. My goodness. So the message I got through time slowly, slowly filtered down to me. I think my wife has unintentionally outsourced the grandfather and the granddaughter to be the official cleaners of the household. How seriously do you take newness, cleanness? If I tweak this and add it, this is all new, right? Even the clicker is new. I'm told that this clicker is so powerful, if I click it from Adam Road, this will change. <laughs> is that right? Let's try it. Oops. <laughs> Let's try it. Okay, we switch. Yeah, it works. See, the screens are looking good. How serious is God? about the oldness or the sameness of sinfulness and the newness of godliness in your life. And if you're a Christian, you should roughly know the answer to this. How serious is someone about this? It's shown not in their attitude, but also in their actions. To have the thought of something but no deed to complete it shows you're not serious. And the Bible passages we're going to travel today by looking at this Bible passage from the Old to the New Testament, from promise to fulfillment, will drive home the message of the seriousness of God about the oldness, the sameness, the repetition of sinfulness in your life and my life, and the goodness and the seriousness of newness that we have only if we trust in God. And so in Isaiah that we just read for our responsive reading, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. It's actually a new Jerusalem. You read all 66 chapters of Isaiah. For the joy, rejoice, joy is a huge thing about this new Jerusalem for people and a people to be a gladness. Again, joy. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people be. And my chosen shall, again, enjoy, rejoice in the work of their hands. They shall not labour in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. The message is, God saw the spiritual and moral rot and decay among who? Not among all the nations. He saw the spiritual rot and decay among His chosen people, the Israelites. And the moral decay was supreme in the way they worshipped God, in that they were in the temple in the body, but not in the temple in their hearts. So they could be worshipping there in the temple in the body, but their minds and their hearts were a million miles away from God. So to love God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbour as yourself under God was the furthest thing from their mind. The forgetting of the widow, the forgetting of the fatherless, 
the forgetting of the foreigner, the abusing of each other, the enriching of each other, the income gap between the rich Jews and the poor Jews, all that was rampant when Isaiah came as a prophet from God to diagnose, to put them under the PET scan or the CD scan, that God put them under the scan and says, this is who you really are. On the surface, you look like my people, but in your hearts, you are far from being my people. And so, he promises in Isaiah 2, a new mountain. And why a new mountain? Because Jerusalem, is the temple, is built on a mountain. And on this new mountain, all the nations will come and hear a new law, and all the nations will come to worship God. On this new mountain, there'll be a new Jerusalem. In this new Jerusalem, there'll be a new temple, which means the new Jerusalem, the new temple, will be the centre or the headquarters of global and eternal blessings. That's at the heart of his promise here. And what do we understand? There'll be no more oldness of what? No more oldness of the weeping, of the cries of distress. As you live in a fallen world, you must feel not just the stress, but the distress of living. There'll be no more premature deaths of infants. There'll be no more eventual deaths of the old. Ah oh yeah, we all grow old and die. That's not something we want to normalise. Because God did not wire us and create us simply to grow up, grow old, get sick and die. We will not, there will no longer be fruitless labour. Where you labour, you save, you invest all your life and then somebody inhabits it. And God did that twice in our national life. Because you're idolatrous, I will exile you. Somebody will enjoy your land, not you. But when I brought you in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Joshua, as you read the history, if you obey me, you will enjoy this land. But if you disobey me, I will kick you out of this land. Same in the Garden of Eden. If you disobey me, Adam and Eve, you are out of God's presence. So it's an endless cycle of fallenness, an endless cycle of sinfulness, an endless cycle of birth, suffering and die. And somewhere along the line, I'm not leading you to be suicidal. You need to ask yourself, why wake up when it's an endless struggle of endless struggle and endless suffering only to die? You think that the great purpose of the true living and loving God is to why you only to grow up, grow old, get sick, suffer and die? What kind of God is this? Sin and sickness and death did not happen to us until the big S happened to us, the serpent, until Satan turned up in human experience and we chose to listen to him instead of chose to listen to God. There'll be no more oldness. That is the oldness, the fallen nature. So what's really frightening, I want to ask you, the official emotion of the last three years of the pandemic, dot, 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 what would you put in there? What was the official global emotion of the world? of your heart and my heart, I would second guess the official global emotion was anxiety, was fear of your life, of your infection, of your possible death, of your future. And so, what's really frightening is this. What's really frightening is the repetition of sin, the repetition of punishment and grace with no end in sight you'll find this most evident in a book like Judges. They rebelled against God, became disobedient to God, God punished them, God graced them. They said never again, 
He repeated, How long are you going to go with this? I'm going to read a portion which is quite huge. I hope you listen. How many of you were there at our discipleship group celebration, the first DG celebration after three years? Not many of us were there because it's a nighttime gathering. We hope many of us will come back. And so if you were there, allow me to uh, I make uh, your understanding and indulgence in this. Watch the Channel News Asia documentary called Riot Island, Part 1, Part 2. And Riot Island is about the near-deserted island of Pulau Senang, one of the islands of Singapore, Pulau Senang. Senang in, Mal in Malay, relax, a relaxing island. After it was transformed into a prison without bars in the early 1960s, and so there was an experiment to rehabilitate who? In the 1960s, biggest social problem, one of the biggest social problems, 1960s, we had many social problems. Singapore was literally a slum. Singapore had high, massive unemployment. The British was about to pull out. Singapore was run by gangsters. Wherever you have overseas Chinese, we rule the country. And so the experiment was re rehabilitate. Hardcore gangsters started with the hope, but ended in failure. With 18 of the rioters sentenced to hang, and many more given long sentences, sentences, the project had to be abandoned, and it would take many years before the government and prison systems believe in what? before the government and the prison systems believe in rehabilitation as a policy to practice. And so, what was it about Riot Island? The 18 men who are about to face the gallows for the rioting and the murder wrote a letter to the pastor who ministered to them, the famous Reverend Koo, who had a heart for those on death row, and so they wrote this and this letter, handwritten, can still be found in Alex Josie's book. And Alex Josie is one who has documented the modern day history of Singapore really well. And the book was written in 1980, and I read the letter. Our dear Reverend Ku Xiaohua, we, Tang King An, Chia Yofat, Chong Wai San, Soma Sundram, Lim Ti Kang, Lim Kim Chuan, Ku Gyoksan, Changhua, Suma Sudaraju, Chu Chengho, Pona Palam, Sim Ho Sing, Sim Tek Beng, Tan Ying Chu, Ng Cheng Leong, Ho Hong Hai, Cheng Po King, Chu Tiam Huat. Do thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what? And the depth of our souls and this humble expression of our dying gratitude for all they have done for us. You were everything to us in our hour of need. Our friend, our advisor, our confidant, father, and our failing source of strength and inspiration. You were the beacon that guided us to the haven of Jesus Christ. Not a misspelling, not a mispronunciation, to the haven, not the heaven of Jesus Christ. The person who wrote this was precise in this English. You taught us to have unquestioning faith in God's word and to pray to him on humbly bended knees to ask for his forgiveness for all the sins and transgressions that we have committed against his commandments. During those long months, agonizing months, of mental torture, of waiting, of hoping, waiting and hoping that there'll be, the sentence might be lightened, of seeing each hope crumble away, till now, when we stand on the very brink of death, in the very age of eternity, you, dear Reverend, 
have given us so much of yourself in selfless devotion to receive in return absolutely nothing. Nothing that is but the knowledge that you are serving God to the best of your ability and the satisfaction that you derive from that. It is through you we now look deaf in the face with courage and equanimity, for we doubt not God's promise of forgiveness for past iniquities, but the simple act of belief and acceptance of Jesus. We know that in three and a half hours' time, when we pass from the earth, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ will be waiting with open arms to lead us to our new home in the house of our Father. If only every man in this world were like you, dear Reverend, what a better place it would be. There would then be no wars, no murders, no coveting, no sins, no prisons, just peace and tranquility everywhere. It is with a heavy heart we must now bid thee goodbye, for we know we shall see thee again one day in a better place, a better time, a better day. Our dying breath, we once again, with our dying breath, we once again affirm to Thee our undying gratitude, gratitude that will transcend even death itself. Fare thee well, our dear Reverend, yours in Christ. And there followed the 18 signatures of this man. Pulau Senang was supposed to be the answer to these hardcore gangsters, giving them a chance to, re, to be rehabilitated, to change, to start a new life, to find hope. Pulau Senang failed them. Pulau Senang could not change these 18 men, but Jesus did. Amen? Pulau Senang may not have given them a new life, but Jesus did. Pulau Senang did not give them hope, but Jesus did. Our hope must never be in what we can do, what men can do, but in what Jesus has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You believe that? That is the only basis for true newness in life and not to repeat the hopeless cycle of man-made ideas of rehabilitation and self-improvement. And so the true newness is actually promised by none other than God Himself. And the true newness is promised in this way. In Isaiah 65 verse 17, I showed you last week, a new heavens and a new earth that we just read this morning. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it's no longer God with Moses writing the law on two stone tablets, but God writing His law upon our hearts and pouring out His Spirit to do so. In Ezekiel 11, chapter 11 verse 19, we will get a new heart and a new spirit as part of the new covenant that will bring in the Messiah and that will pour out the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes along and all four Gospels record, record what? Record this, that when Jesus celebrates the last Passover, which becomes for us the Lord's Supper, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant for you. This is what He alone does for, for us. If you could redeem yourself, Jesus wouldn't have to come from the glories of heaven to the goriness of earth. And so, remember those words. 
It is for you. It is for you. Jesus came for you. From the Father's will for you and me. And all efforts at self-redemption insult the cross. All efforts at self-redemption offend the Lord Jesus because they bypass Jesus as the only way to newness in life. A new standing positional holiness. From this point onwards, you're given a passport totally new and then you work hard by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God for progressive holiness. And part of the journey to fulfill the Great Commission is a new commandment, which is actually an old commandment for the Jews, but new as you now see it fulfilled in the sacrificial love of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 again, if anyone is in Christ and in Christ alone, therein lies your real reason and your true assurance of being made new in standing and promised eternity with God. And then if you understand this, then from the Old to the New, God, Old to the New Testament, it is God who promised and fulfills this. I take you to the last book that we just read for our Bible reading. And the last book of the Bible tells us this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It sounds so familiar, doesn't it? It really sounds like Isaiah 65. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city near Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so there's a very strange phrase that I put in bold. The year has started, and the year has started, there is a light-hearted joke among the pastoral staff. That when funerals happen, they come in a row. And since the end of the year to the beginning of the year, we've had six funerals, I think, just in January itself. That's totally frightening, end of December and early January. And so we must live with fragility in the light of our mortality. This is it. And so he sees a new heavens and new earth, and part of this, the sea was no more. I want to ask you, in a modern day world, what's the sea a symbol of? In a modern day world, if you manage to live by the sea, or by the waters, or by Kalang River, you have made it. The sea is a symbol of status. In the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the sea, the tehom in the Hebrew, T-E-H-O-M, was a symbol of darkness. And darkness was a symbol of evil. And evil is a symbol that this thing is under God. And only one person could bring the seas, the tehom, under control. His name was God. His name was Yahweh. A true Israelite would understand that. So when Jesus turns up, one of the incidences of his life that, that is on display in the Gospels is that he tells the sea, be still, and it is still. It was a furious storm that almost caught them to capsize and lose their life. I want you to try this, right? When you see a furious squall, you stand, you, you're on a boat, you just try, be still. Nothing will happen. Absolutely nothing. And so no more sea could be the writer's way of saying and John the Apostle is on the island of Patmos. The Christians are increasingly persecuted. And so they are panicking and losing faith in Christ Jesus. If he's the Messiah, why are we facing this? It says nothing, no more sea, could be nothing of Satan, nothing of sin, and nothing of suffering and death will pass onto the new world. It is truly the end of the old order. 
And when you think of it, why are you wearing a mask? And you hope the higher the, the, the thing that's here in the mask, the more resilient it is to anything passing on to you. And in the new heavens and new earth, nothing of Satan, nothing of sin, nothing of sickness, nothing of mourning or crying will pass from the old order to the new order of things. The picture that you get is serenity, harmony, tranquility. Because all is at peace and all is in right order because Jesus Christ is Lord. So I say often in the funeral sermons, when you read Revelation 21, I do not know how your loved one might pass away. And your loved one might pass away through a period of sickness. And through a period of sickness, you know what happens? You go through a period of hospitals. In and out of hospitals, doctors, nurses, being jabbed, tests. And if you've got a really terminal illness, they'll try all sorts of drugs on you. And then after all that effort, you pass on. And the person passes on, they will never experience that season again. Not because your loved one, your grandpa, your grandma, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your son or your daughter died. They will never face that season again because Jesus died and rose again. Amen? And so is the gospel too hard for you to understand? And what is too hard for you to understand? What is too hard for you to understand? That Christ spends his life that you would spend eternity with God. And that's Revelation 21. And what's Revelation 21? Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Is it too hard to believe that that is God's purpose? He created you with one simple ambition, inverted commas, one simple overwhelming desire that He will be your God and you will be his people. Is that too hard to accept? Too hard to understand? Even a three-year-old child, a two-year-old child can understand that. Amen? So I heard this story of, this sermon illustration was given, that um, this woman was widowed. She had a son whom she loved. He got married and so he came to visit and especially came with gifts for her birthday. And as she opened the gift, the son could see on the mother's face, she was not really thrilled with what he gave her. It was a beautiful dress. And then the son asked, Mom, are you happy? Are you okay with the gift? I am, I am. I'm really thankful. I am. He wasn't convinced. Are you really happy? I could bring the dress back if it doesn't suit you. I am. Then finally she brought him and said, come, come to my room. Come and see my wardrobe. I love all the things you gave me, all the dresses that you gave me. I, I don't want the things. I just want you some time with you. Is that too hard to believe? That that's all God wanted of you? And so he made a promise of newness. That you and, life have, you and I have lived our life forgetting God, forsaking God, taking our life in our own hands and living with blessed autonomy, blessed independence from God. The punishment for that is rightly separation from God, death. And there'll be a second death. And we don't accept the only means of forgiveness, the only means of a slate wiped clean, the only means of reconciliation with God, which is Jesus dying on the cross, suffering for you, my body for you, my blood for you. This is the new covenant. 
And so everything about Jesus' work shouts and screams, this will last for all eternity. The serenity with God, the tranquility with God, the harmony, and do you read Isaiah carefully? The lion and lamb will sit down. You would never put in our fallen world the lion and the lamb together because one will devour the other. I hope you know which one will devour the other. Obviously not the lamb devour the lion, just in case. Just in case. But can you picture that? That the whole of creation, every being, heavenly beings, human beings, and nature will all be in harmony. That's the beautiful picture that he paints for us. The beginning of the new order. And so Revelation 21 tells us, but we come down to a choice between whether you will continue with the oldness of sinfulness or the newness of godliness, of holiness. For he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. This whole thing of, this whole thing of promising newness is a done thing. It's not uncertain. It's accomplished on the cross. I'm the Alpha and Omega. You read Revelation carefully. Revelation opens with God is Alpha and Omega. By the time it ends in Revelation 21, Jesus is Alpha and Omega because all authority in heaven and earth has been handed to Him. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I give, I give the, sorry, I can't read it so far away. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And so, it's either Jesus or nothing. Jesus or bus. Complete Jesus' redemption or not. You come to Him. So how many of you are thirsty? Have you been thirsty before? Yes, of course. When you are thirsty, what comes to your mind? When you're thirsty, I, I want to confess to you, this part of my fallenness. When I'm thirsty, the first drink that comes to mind is Coke. When I, play, when I play sport as a young teenager, there's nothing like a Coke on a hot day when you just played, you know, hockey or finished volleyball, whatever you played. And I still suffer that. In fact, I drank one last night. So if you look at me, I'm highly energetic. So I'm thirsty. So who can quench your thirst? And they say that Coke sought to be a global brand. You climb to the highest mountains of Mount Everest, the Mount Everest range, you will find a Coke can there. They have. You plunge to the deepest depths of the ocean, you'll find a Coke can there. So they believe that Coke will quench your thirst. Do you believe that Jesus is better than that? That as you climb to the highest mountains, ranges of Everest, people need to hear the gospel. You go to the furthest corners where people live in the seas, people must hear the gospel. That's the message. And so nothing will satisfy your thirst apart from Jesus coming to love you, save you, and reconcile you with God, our Heavenly Father. He will be your God, and we will be His people. I remember when we first came back from Bible College, right? our first child, Hanshin, he was only six months. Then we went to a hawker centre. We'd been away for about three years for Bible, uh, for Bible College. And then we went to a hawker centre. Didn't have anything to warm up his milk at that time. So I went to ask the hawker for some hot water. And the uncle said to me, 20 cents. Huh? Hot water must pay, uncle. Must. <laughs> Everywhere you need to pay for water. Countries will go to war for water. 
They may not go to war for anything, but you cut off the water, we'll wage war. You will never find your thirst satisfied apart from Jesus. You will hear that story in John chapter 4 when we read about the Samaritan woman. And so it goes on. You want to fill your thirst once and for all? It is Jesus and the Spirit of God living in you. And then to the one who conquers, you will have this heritage. And I'll be his God and he will be my son. In the singular, it firstly applies to Jesus. And you come to believe in Jesus, you and me will be sons and daughters of God. But if you don't believe in Jesus, which has come to promise, which has come to fulfill God's newness of life, for the cowardly, for the faithless, the detestable, and for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, all who seek to find self-redemption and self-fulfillment by bypassing God's promise and God's fulfillment in Jesus, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And this is eternal separation from God. And this will be permanent sinfulness, hell, where we live in permanent separation from God. So that is, if that is a valid interpretation of the Bible, then you need to ask yourself about this gospel newness. How seriously will you take your sins? How seriously will you take your newness? So every year we produce a handbook. And in that handbook, it plays out for you all the ministries that we will embark on because of the God we believe in, because of the Jesus we believe in, and what we do to fulfill His great commission by fulfilling the great commandment to love each other. So take a copy of that handbook. Take as many copies. If you have a car, take many copies, leave it in the back seats of your car. Then you pick up people, give them lifts. They'll say, what is this? Oh, an extra copy for you. Take some copies, leave them on your living room table. When they come around for Chinese news, say, hey, what's this? Uh, yeah, this is our church handbook. You never know how many people come, firstly to church and then to Christ by picking up our handbook. And many pastors, many churches pick up our handbook and say, yeah, what, we can do this too. And now we have the hard copy version and the e-copy version. Every ministry is there. The main major events are there. And all, those, and all that hard work from children's church to youth to basic to our discipleship groups to the fellowships, the Rhoda Fellowship, the Tabitha Fellowship, to the Prisons Fellowship, is to tell you, pray for these things. Take part in these things. They are the only way to bring people to newness in life. For the only way to newness in life is evangelism. The only way to newness in life is to share Jesus with our friends and our family. So fresh encounters. So that's one way you take it seriously. Fresh encounters with Jesus, unless we confess our sinfulness, there will be no newness in Christ. And so the Bible in the New Testament promises us a new mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And then there will be new speech in Ephesians 4, 25 onwards. Then you have to speak only what is useful for the building up of the other person. And then flowing from that, there will be new behaviours that you are to get rid of put to death all that belongs to your sinful nature, the anger, the rage, the slander, the malice. And then from that will come new relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
Parents, do not frustrate your children. Children, obey your parents. Masters and slaves. So everything changes under the new management of Jesus. I want to ask you, do you believe in this? Unless you confess to your sinfulness, you will not find the newness of life in Christ. And many of us are half dead and half alive. In what way? A bit of self-redemption, a bit of Jesus. This anger I can cope with. And so for the next one hour when I'm preaching here, then afterwards, after the service, there'll be fellowship here in the canteen at Bishan, then at road, and then at road, there's new things, right? I've got a new clicker. We've designed, a, a, we crafted a new site just facing Trinity, like a cafe area, can be used for our Sunday school, go check it out, and can be used for our fellowship. And all the time we are thinking of how to improve our hardware so that the software of ministering to God's people is there. So a bit of self, a bit of Jesus. When you're together, you don't display any anger. The moment you get in a car, the moment you get home, your anger comes out. What is that? What, what do you call that? It is, it is salvation by suppression. You just suppress your anger for two hours. We're in front of your wife, your husband, you don't lust at other people. When they are no longer there, you look slightly harder. What do you call that? That's salvation by suppression. When you are in public space, you don't show envy, you don't show ambition, you don't show unforgiveness, you don't show insecurity, because sociality, the social setting, gets you to put on a social front. If you could deal with your sinfulness by sociality, you don't need Jesus bleeding, dying, suffering on the cross for you. So decide once and for all whether you're saving yourself by self-redemption, by suppression of sin, by rationalization of sin, or at that moment, oh God, I can't deal with my anger. I can't deal with my unforgiveness. I can't deal with my envy. I can't deal with my discontentment. I can't deal with my gossipy tongue. I can't deal with... When you say I can't deal with it, only one person can help you. His name is Jesus. Amen? That is moment by moment sanctification. That is progressive holiness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I plead with you, do not deal with sinfulness with your ownness of suppression. That I am on top of this. And sometimes in our ministry, sometimes in our counselling, we have to say the true word and the harsh, hard word. Not harsh word. Sounds harsh. And sometimes you say to, to a couple in trouble, I think you got an anger problem. And sometimes a man might say to you, say so. Say so. How do you know? You think it's easy to admit that you are ang angry? You got an anger problem. You got an envy problem. You got a discontentment problem. And you think you can do the, the harshness of life? If you don't do it with suppression, then go into a little bit of drink, a little bit of porn. All those are ways you cope with self-redemption. And that must come to an end. You can't have a little bit of that and a little bit of Jesus. Choose once and for all who can save you and the true liberation of that. The Pulau Senang man, the man who hung there, heard the gospel from Reverend Ku and knew that nothing and no one could save them. Not even the most sincere policies of a prison without walls when they were imprisoned by Satan and sin in their lives. 
No one and nothing can save you. Just remember that for the rest of your days, apart from Jesus. And when you go to Jesus for salvation and sanctification, you will always find forgiveness and new life. Amen? So I ask of you, you're going to continue being half dead, half alive? Or fully alive in Christ? They saw in Reverend Koo a man fully alive in Christ. They said at his funeral that nobody has ever seen him lose his temper. So that's not possible. He had zero tolerance for anger in his life. Frustration, irritation from all the accusations, for all the disappointments. Yes, but he soaked it up. He absorbed it because he looked to his Saviour. And so the 18 men saw in him a new man, the living face of Jesus in their life. Will your children see that in you as a father, as a mother? Will your spouse see that in you? Don't begin with them. Begin with you. Begin with you falling on your knees. Oh, help me, God, I'm a sinner. These are the things I cannot handle. These are the things I cannot handle in my life. Jesus will come and rescue you. Amen? And so, our theme for the year is strengthening faith, strengthening family. And we pray to experience this newness in our hearts. And if you're new in your heart, it will overflow into your marriage, into your children, overflow into your small groups, your DGs, and overflow to church. And if newness among us here, it will overflow into our neighbourhood and our community. You believe that? You must absolutely believe that. And it changed the Roman world in the first, two, first three centuries because the main converts were mainly slaves. And how should slaves win over their masters? Slaves never win over anybody. They are just slaves. But the vast majority of slaves read the scriptures, heard the gospel, and then served a greater Lord more than their earthly masters. And the Roman world was transformed significantly by the witness of slaves. There's the power of one heart being changed, one home being changed by God. That's the kind of church we want to be in ARPC. That's the kind of church we should be all around the world, not faking it. That Monday, Sunday is different to Monday to Saturday. We must be the consistent people of God. Amen? And so, newness to our nation. This pandemic is a disruptor or accelerator. I've said this a few times. So what does God want to disrupt in your life? And what does God want to accelerate? Here is a simple understanding of it. God wants to disrupt nominal faith. When what you hear on a Sunday, how you behave on a Sunday, has nothing to do with how you behave from Monday to Saturday. That must come to an end. Quite a significant number of young adults have come to our fellowship over the last 20, 30 years. And one reason they've come is, uh, my parents are Christian, right? But after service, uh, they quarrel a lot. <coughs> I quarrel about everything. And so I don't want to stay. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen in our midst. That means that double standard, that two, two ways of living, that hypocrisy must come to an end. We can't do this. So it's dangerous routine. It's self-sufficient. It's pride. We cannot be expert churchgoers. We should be faithful Christ followers. And so what does God want to accelerate? Your humility. When you say to God, I can't save myself. I need you completely, Lord Jesus, for this moment. You die to self, you take up the cross. And 
You die to self, you take up the cross. You mean a man hanging, dying on the cross can cure my... Put in what is your sin. Can cure my addiction to drugs? Yes. Can cure my addiction to drink? Yes. Can cure my addiction to porn? Yes. You mean this man dying on the cross can cure my addiction to... You just go on. Your anger, your malice, your slander. It can cure everything in your heart. Absolutely yes. Do not be ashamed of Jesus and the cross. No one can cure you of this. Is that right? You must believe that. Believing in Jesus and becoming like Him. And so He's accelerating your humility. You're dying to self. Your hunger for Jesus and hunger for holiness. And so the newness, and we always say this, we're going to practice and promote not non-negotiable time with God, undistracted time with God, for total devotion to God. I want to encourage you to do this personally in your life. Basic, they're sending, our youth group is sending the daily devotions to our youth. Ask Pastor Roger, what do you think is the take-up rate? They send the devotions by telegram. Don't know, hard to estimate, hard to estimate. Out of three, 400 youth, could there be half using it? Whatever the numbers, we start from where we are. If right now across ARPC, in any church, then only 5% of us, 10% of us are doing daily devotion. After this sermon, it might be 6%. At least we grew by 1%. Hallelujah. Hello. You give me 1% growth, I'm happy. By the end of the year, it could be 50% of us. Taking the doing of our quiet time seriously as seen in the Lord Jesus, that He faced Calvary with Gethsemane. No Gethsemane, no Calvary. Not my will, but yours be done. If the Lord Jesus displayed that in his life, you think you can fight against Satan and sin by getting on your feet without getting on your knees? You can't get on your feet to go to school, to go to work, to go anywhere in life without getting on your knees before Jesus. That's very important. And why don't you do this as a family? It's still the first week of January. Not too late. We don't make resolutions as Christian families. We make resolution, resurrection resolutions. Colossians, there was the opening passage. You set your minds on Christ, and so everything about Christ, His death for us, His resurrection for us, His ascension for us, His return for us, the four moments in Jesus' life will control your life. He's dying for you, He's rising for you, His ascension seated at God's right, God's right hand, pleading for your holiness and blamelessness, and His return, and your life, which is now hidden with Christ, will be unveiled in all its glory. Right now, as you live, you get on a bus in MRT, nobody walks around and says, Christian, I can see the halo on your head. Your life is hidden in Christ. It's not glorious. It's not glorious. You could be a Christian and have miscarriages. You could be a Christian and suffer sicknesses. You could be a Christian and lose your job. You could be a Christian and you suffer all sorts of things with extra dosage. But your life hidden in Christ will be revealed in all its glory. So you set your mind and your hearts on Christ. And so you can make a pact with your family. One child, two children. That we as the Lee family, the Cha family, the Sunna syndrome family, right? Whatever you make a pact, that this year the Cha family will help us, God. We want to work on one thing. I do not know what kind of conversations you have in your family. Do you have conversations or accusations? Is, is your dialogue a series of accusations or a series of affirmations? Ephesians 4.25 says, speak only what is helpful for the building up of each other. Right? And so, sometimes in day-to-day -day living, 
You need to pause yourself and ask. If I hear something from Mona, I say, hey, Mona, was that helpful? Then we use the Malay word, balik, balik. Go backwards a few steps. I don't think that was very edifying. And she has every right to say the same thing. Chris, you think that was helpful? Let's balik, balik to where? Go back to the cross and speak only what is helpful for the building up of each other. You do not come home and say, hey, who put this there? Who put that there? What is that? Affirmation. Why haven't you done this? What have you done that? Is that affirmation? The tone itself is really accusatory. And so be very careful how you conduct your conversations in life. And then you live by this. The hard questions as we go on. And so we said to our leaders yesterday, what is it we said to our leaders? We said this. The newness begins by God's grace and we are graced by God to glorify Him at the end of the stairway. There must be newness in our hearts, then newness of habits, newness in God's family, and newness to become like Jesus. And we want to say to you that you and me do not rise as high as our goals, you and me rise as high as our habits. You and me rise as high as our habits. And so you are a series of habits. And we have triple learning here that what the adults learn, the youth will learn the same book. We're going to start with John and then move on to Deuteronomy and then move on to, to uh, Romans and then move on to Proverbs to end the year, wisdom for the family. And our children learn the same thing so that as a family, we can learn and be Bible-centered and Christ-centered. That's so important, right? And what does this mean for you and me? You would have forgotten this. And so with our shepherds, yesterday I gave this to the vision. Our shepherds each year, we have 88 discipleship groups. About 1,200, 1,400 people are in small groups. So we have to train our leaders, encourage our leaders in their inner life and then teach them how to counsel people through the crisis of life. And then caring for the wounded shepherds, caring for the carer is very important. You may have forgotten this from last year. We ended last year, two years ago. Pastor Jeff had a heart attack. He almost left, you know. You look at Pastor Jeff today, stylo or not? Not bad lah. He's always been stylo since I met him. Very stylo one. But we almost lost him. And don't forget to say, I do not know what you say within your families, within your marriages, between love you, love you. How about you try, I love you. Big difference, no? I love you. And Jeff recounted, then when his family finally came to see him after the op, right? Because they couldn't go and see him because of COVID-19, all those restrictions. Just to hug his children and his daughters, I love you, Daddy, I love you. Do not think that you will have another day to say, I love you. And believing in Jesus unloosens your tongue to say that. So you want to try that? I love you. Sorry, this, this congregation is not awake. I've said it many times. I go walking, right? In the West, when I go walking, good morning, good morning, good morning. Wave to different people, etc., etc. In Singapore, you say good morning, they first stare at you. So sometimes, morning, morning. What kind of morning? Good is also drop. Right? Look at people also, huh, what, what, what do you want? You want something, is it? My goodness, what's happened to us? So we went of the five, six funerals for one of the weeks. The husband became a late believer. Men of few words, and all men struggle with pride. My husband, proud man. Right? 
Finally, after he got converted, held my hand and said, I love you. But the moment the son walked in, dropped her hand. Because they want to show that he is soft. Right? Then she carried on praying. And then the next few times the son walked in, he held on to her hand. Unashamed. That the man of few words, the man of not showing much affection, she's so convinced that her husband is saved. That's what Jesus brings to our life. Everything that you, in your pride, you wouldn't do. Now in your humility and your newness of heart, I love you. And for her, it was the best Christmas because it's been a while since she heard, I love you. Amen? Can you say that to each other more often? I love you. I say it so often, Mona says, huh, what? <laughs> and then remember the testimony of Philip and Daniel? Daniel Lim is one of our pastors. He's here, standing in the back somewhere. His father, cab driver, all this is all of a sudden, in a moment of maybe loss of, of focus, knocked down someone, went to prison. What a way to end your, as it were, your working life in prison. But the spiritual growth and the family growing through that is just phenomenal. All these are old testimonies. Do you realize that? Do you, do you realize? They are all old testimonies. And just to remind you that this is the newness of life that we have in Christ and Christ alone. And so here we have it. Here we have what? Here we have it. We have time. That's the only thing you have. God has given to you. There's a time and season for everything. And the acronym for time, for this newness of life, treasure time, not trash time. Be a good steward. Don't be a time waster and normalize that. Invest time, not spend time. So you're not spending time with your children. You're not spending time with your father. You're investing time with your children. You're investing time with your grandmother and grandfather. So I made it the point, as my mother lived with me for 20, 22 years, every, no matter how long the day, I'll come back and say, Lord, give me 15, 30 minutes to spend with my mum. And you ever talk to an old person, it's the same old dialogue, right? Yes, she knows that I skip a lot of meals because of ministry. So this whole thing called intermittent fasting is new to you, right? I was born with intermittent fasting. How do you think I have this body? So I highly commend that to you, right? And so, so tempted in the business of ministry to just give my token attention to my mum. But one day I sat there and I just looked at her. My mum was already approaching a hundred wrinkly everywhere. She was a beautiful woman. Right? And say she's still beautiful with all her wrinkles. And this is the mother who raised 12 children. Born 14, 12 survived. I'm number 12. How could I not be grateful to a mother? How could I be looking at my watch? Her eyesight not so good at that time. I picked at my watch to see whether my 15 minutes or half an hour was over. You're not spending time with a loved one. You're investing time in a loved one. Amen? You make time, you don't delay time. And I can tell you, death doesn't warn you. It doesn't say, I'm coming tomorrow. Uh, yeah, five more years, I'll come. It just comes. And so, eternalize, not relativize time. And so, you need to have this vision. A vision of your going, your destiny, to the new Jerusalem, a vision of Jesus coming for your certainty and a vision of living between your going or his coming, whichever happens first, which is for ministry. This is how we live. 
with the newness of life. In a few moments, the people at Adam are going to celebrate communion. They'll sing a closing song, cries our hope in life and death. We're going to sing our own song here. And wherever you tune in, you can sing a song that captures for us that only one person can bring you new life. He's your hope in life and death and in everything. Let's stand and pray together. Whenever we hear the Word of God proclaim, preach, we are hearing no less than God speak to us in His Word, through His Word, fulfilling the Son brought by the Spirit of God into our lives. The Word of God never goes forth and returns to God void. The Word of God will accomplish what God sent the Word of God to accomplish, the saving of many lives. If you sense that God has been speaking to you through all the different circumstances of your life, and God has spoken to you today as you come to our services at AOPC at Adam or Bishan, or you tune into this, not by chance, but by divine appointment, to hear about the tragedy and the horror and the helplessness and hopelessness of the repetition of sin, the repetition of the oldness of sin, the oldness of rebellion, the oldness of autonomy. May you humbly believe there is only one who can promise you newness. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you promise us a new heavens and a new earth. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you promise us a new covenant. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you promise us a new heart and a new spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you come in utter and complete humility and obedience to the Father to be the new covenant, your body for us, your blood for us, telling us once and for all that we can never redeem ourselves. So save us from being half dead, half alive. A little bit of ourself, a little bit of you, which leads us to nowhere. Teach us never to offend you anymore, but to need you, to worship you, to trust completely in you and your finished work on the cross, your continuing work as the great high priest interceding for us, and the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray for this newness that will bring about a new mind, that will bring about new speech, new behaviours, new relationships. And some of us have come here really hurt, really harmed, really broken from the sins of thought and word and deed. We pray for this newness to sweep over our lives, that a fresh encounter with Jesus day by day, moment by moment, will indeed bring about this newness that will be a witness to the world and glorify you. Hear our prayers, O God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing this closing song, Jeff.
my rise and see I need not be afraid all my help comes from the Lord he will keep you from all evils before you and before you through this journey from now and evermore no never sleep my steps he has ordained for the one who holds the night is the sovereign of my days he will keep you from all evils behind you and before he will sustain you through this journey from now and evermore he will keep you from all evils behind you and before he will sustain you through this journey from now and evermore he will keep you from all evil behind you ran before he will sustain you through this journey from now and nevermore almighty god strengthen us by your spirit they will be unafraid and unashamed of Jesus and the cross. That in dying to self and taking on the cross and following Jesus, that is the true newness of our life. And we pray that we will do this as a witness to you unto your glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming.